There are days when I feel like I could just do that all day long. You know, just thank you so much, uh, Ivan and the rest of the team, for that. You know, for leading us to that place, to fixing our eyes on Jesus, the, the one that we need. Uh, the one we're supposed to build our lives upon. Um, wow. Thank you. Well, good morning. <laughs> Seriously, just sort of moved by that time. Um, I don't know what to say. Um, I need him, you know. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, thank you so much for this incredible privilege we have to gather like this. Thank you for the way you've gifted different people throughout the ages. The fact that you would put songs like that on someone's heart. and That they would write them down and share them with others. God, we thank you so much for the way you moved on those who wrote the scriptures. bringing to mind the things that you taught while you walked on the earth and, and guiding them as they wrote your word. And God, I pray that in the same way that just a moment ago that, that you, through those songs, ministered to, to my heart and no doubt others. God, I pray that in these coming moments that you would speak to us now through your holy word. And I pray that our hearts would be open to hear what you have to say. God, I pray that that you would get me out of the way. And as we look at the words that your son Jesus spoke, God, I pray that it's his voice we hear speaking to our hearts today. Change us, God. Please don't allow us to leave this place the same way we came in. We need you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I don't want to be the only one left out um, this morning picking up on the theme. But today is December 27th. Which means that in just a few days, on Thursday night at midnight, we get to say goodbye to 2020. And, uh, you know, when, when uh, I was walking through the cafe, when, um, when Pastor Glenn was up here doing the announcements and, you know, heard him mention that, and I heard an amen <laughs> there, and I just heard another groan in here. And, you know, I don't think I can recall a time in my life when people were more excited to see a year come to an end than this year. 2020, in, in one word, for me, has been difficult. It's been a challenging year. Oh, that's more than one word. Sorry. I know that probably most of you have seen these, but they make me laugh when I see them. And I, I did weed it down to just a few. Um, uh, but there are some pretty awesome memes that have been created this year to describe what 2020 is like. So I just got a couple of them here for you. 
that maybe you'll relate. If 2020 was a bag of potato chips, orange juice and toothpaste, <laughs> there's a winning combo. Uh, let's see. If 2020 were a pinata, I like that. <laughs> That's funny. Exactly. Welcome to the birthday party. Yes. It is so funny, too, because 2020 was this year that I think that so many of us were really looking forward to. It was like 2020, the year of vision, right? Yeah, not so much. All right, last, last one. If 2020 was a slide, <laughs> let's go to the playground, kids. Those are pretty great. There were some other ones I, I refrained from bringing. Um, don't get me wrong. 2020... Um, you know, as, as tough as it's been, really, has also provided us with an awesome opportunity uh, for growth. Do you agree? Has God grown you this year? And if so, and it has anything to do with the trials and the difficulties we've gone through because of 2020 and the pandemic and all that, then really we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, James says, this is from the New Living Translation, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way... Consider it an opportunity for great joy. That has to be written in Scripture because that's not our normal response, right? But it is a command. Verse 3 says, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Isn't that awesome? My prayer throughout this year has been that I personally, and that we as a church family, would be open to all that God is trying to teach us this year. My prayer has been that no matter what happens, that we would remain committed to His mission for our lives. And as I've been praying, leading up to today, you know, knowing that I was going to be teaching, My prayer has been, God, what would you have me to share with your people as we head into a new year? What is is on your heart, God? And he led me, I believe, to the prayer of his son Jesus as recorded in John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is a prayer that Jesus prayed uh, just a few hours before he would die. And in this prayer, we really get to see Jesus' heart. We get to see his heart for God and God's glory. We get to see his heart for his disciples. And pretty cool, we get to see his heart for you and me. If you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 17. And uh, you've probably noticed that I've titled this series, The Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. I thought that the Lord's Prayer was in Matthew chapter 6. You know, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and you'd be right for thinking that because that is typically what we call that prayer, right? The Lord's Prayer. In fact, in your Bibles, you probably, maybe some of your Bibles it actually says right above that in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. But you know that that was added in, right? You know, that wasn't like originally part of the verse, the Lord's Prayer. And actually in that prayer, there's, a, there's, a, there's some things that are said that really the Lord would never pray, would he? Forgive us our debts. 
Jesus could pray, forgive them their debts, forgive them their sins, their trespasses, but Jesus could never pray, forgive me for my sins. He's never sinned, right? But it's called the Lord's Prayer because it is the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, right? They, they were so blown away by Jesus' prayer life, they're like, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Isn't that awesome, by the way? They asked him to teach them how to pray. They didn't say, teach us how to preach. Teach us how to pray. And he did. And it's an awesome model for prayer. It's probably better called the disciples' prayer than the Lord's prayer. But here in John chapter 17, in John chapter 17, we have the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. I no doubt he prayed longer prayers. I mean, we know that he prayed all night, right? But it's the longest recorded prayer. And we're invited in this prayer to listen to the heart of the Lord as he prays to his Father. This is literally our Lord's prayer. And it is such an intimate prayer from Jesus that many people have referred to this prayer as the holy ground of Scripture. The holy ground of Scripture. God the Son pouring out his heart to God the Father. Almost like like Moses took his feet off at the burning bush. It's like we should come to this prayer of Jesus and be like, whoa. I mean, we're invited into this relationship, this, this view into the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. It's so intimate and so holy as we come near it. And uh, for me, one of my, my, my uh, frustrations this morning is that is, as much as I would love to cover the whole prayer, like, I want to go through all 26 verses with you today, but you would hate me if we did that. Um, so my plan is to take the next three weeks to carefully look over uh, three sections of this prayer. Three sections. Today, we're going to focus our attention on just the first five verses, where Jesus begins the prayer praying for himself. It's interesting, right? And then next week, we're going to look at verses 6 through 19, where Jesus is going to focus its attention to praying for his disciples. Makes up the largest part of, of this prayer. And then in the final week, we're going to look at verses 20 through 26, where Jesus is praying for all believers, which would include you and and me. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you in the Gospel of John? In the final hours of Jesus' life, as he turns to his Father in prayer, you were on his mind. Isn't that awesome? Did you know that right now he's still praying for you? Does that blow your mind at all? Romans chapter 8, we read that Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus is interceding for you. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. How amazing is it to think that Jesus is praying for you? 
even if nobody else in the entire world prays for you. You don't have a grandma who's been praying for you your whole life or, you know, the pastors always forget you. They never pray for you. If nobody else in the world is praying for you, you should be encouraged right now knowing that the Son of God is in heaven at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. That's pretty awesome. Well, let's go ahead and just take a look at this, these first five verses, shall we? Let's read through it together as Jesus begins this prayer, um, praying for himself. John 17, 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In these first five verses of the Lord's Prayer, it is hard to miss the primary focus of Jesus' prayer. In one word... This prayer is about glory. Glory. This prayer is all about the glory of God. And if you don't hear and you don't remember anything else that I'm going to say over the next three Sundays, I'm hoping that I say this early enough in the message that I haven't lost any of you yet. God's desire for you and for me And for all of us in in 2021, in 2022, 2023, and as long as he tarries, is for you and I and us to live our lives for the glory of God. God's desire is that we would live for his glory. Amen. Close the book. Let's go home. Right? You're like, yes. Yes. No. No. I was telling someone out back, by the way, I was like, it is a little bit audacious that we get up here and I think I'm going to add something to Jesus' prayer. It's like, why don't I just read it, you know? It's Jesus' words. What am I going to add to this? So, man, he cared about God's glory. And that's what we should care about, too. Verse 1 says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. It's been said, and I think rightfully so, that you can learn a lot about someone's relationship with God by listening to them pray. And it's not measured by how eloquent, right? But you can tell when somebody knows God when they pray. If you've never been around somebody like that, who who their prayer life, you're just like, wow, they know God. And you can tell as you listen to the prayer. And I don't think there's any greater example of that than listening to God the Son praying to God the Father. You know, Jesus was a man of prayer. He lived his entire earthly life in total dependence on God, spending long hours alone with the Father in prayer. In Luke chapter 5, we're told that he would withdraw to desolate places and pray in verse 16. In Luke chapter 6, 
verses 12 and 13, before he chose his apostles, we're told that in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. I get distracted praying to God in a 15-minute commute to the church. I set out with great intention. I'm going to drive to church. I'm going to pray to God on the way to church. And like three or four minutes in it, I'm thinking about, man, I really wish I could get a burger at Chuck Wagon. That sounds awesome. Right? And like one thing leads to another. And I'm thinking about Bob Barry. And I haven't hung out with Bob in a while. Uh, wow. Like I'm so distracted. Jesus stayed up all night talking to his father in prayer. And it says in verse 13 in chapter 6, And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. How important is prayer in my life? How important is prayer for you? In Jesus, the Son of God, was a man of prayer, constantly seeking the Father's heart and guidance. Shouldn't we be doing the same? I mean, if Jesus depended on God through prayer, don't you think we need to? Verse 1 says that when Jesus had spoken these words... He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he began to pray. What words? What words is he talking about here? What words had he just spoken? Well, it turns out it was a lot of words. It was a really lot of words. This prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17 follows a time of intensely personal teaching with his disciples. If you go back to John chapter 13, and by the way, I just, just, just read it this week. John 13, 14, 15, 16. You know, make that your assignment for the week. Read through those chapters. But in John chapter 13, Jesus' disciples are gathered together and they're celebrating the Passover meal, something they do every year. But Jesus knows that he has now entered into the final hours of his life here on earth. And in these final hours, he is trying to prepare his disciples for what's to come. And so in chapter 13, we see Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, setting them an example for how they should love and serve others. And then in chapter 14, after Judas has left the room, right? And the disciples still don't understand what's going on, right? Jesus sends Judas on his way. He's going to go betray the Lord. After he's gone, Jesus begins what is referred to in chapters 14, 15, and 16 as his farewell discourse. It's his goodbye teaching. He's saying goodbye. And over the next three chapters, 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's seeking to comfort them, and he's preparing them for his departure. And he wraps up this teaching... In chapter 16, verse 33, with these words. Listen carefully. I know that there are some of you who need to hear these words from Jesus. He says, I have said these things to you. That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. We need to hear that, don't we? When Jesus had spoken these words, 
all the words of chapter 14, 15, and 16, he then turned his attention to prayer. And get this, Jesus switches here from talking to his disciples about God in chapters 14, 15, and 16 to talking to God about his disciples in chapter 17. I think this is an awesome pattern that we should practice. And we're going to get into a lot of what Jesus said to his father about his disciples next week in verses 6 through 19. But the pattern is here. Brothers and sisters, we should be communicating with people about God. We should be talking to people about God, teaching them spiritual things, pointing them to Jesus, right? And then we should spend equally as much time talking to God about those people that we've been talking to him about God, right? We, we tend to do what? We tend to err on one side or the other. <laughs> Either we're the type of people who are constantly blah, 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 talking to people about God, but we spend no time praying for them. Or... We pray for people all the time, but we'd never open our mouths and tell them, right? Jesus did both. He did both. He talked about God to the people, and he talked to God about the people. That's a pretty awesome pattern. What would it be like if we spent as much time praying and talking, talking to people about God and praying to God about those same people? I bet, I bet we'd see more people coming to Christ. I bet we'd see a harvest. We might see revival. It's a pretty awesome pattern. Jesus spoke these words, knowing he's about to leave, right? He knows that this is it. He knows the difficulties that his disciples are going to face. And so after sharing this emotional Passover meal and teaching and preparing them for his departure, it says that he, he, he lifted his eyes to heaven. And he began to pray as his disciples listened. Can you picture that scene? Put yourselves in the disciples' shoes for just a moment. If you could just like, maybe, I don't know. Jesus is, is looking them in the eye, right? He's talking to them. He's pouring out his heart to them. He loves these guys. Do you get that? Like they've been following him for three years. Jesus loves these guys. And you know how hard it's going to be for them Tomorrow. They don't know yet, but he does. He knows what Peter's going to do. He knows the, the anguish that Peter's going to feel at the denial, right? He knows all of that. And he loves these guys. He's looking them in the eyes. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. With no hesitation. There's no narrator present in the room and saying, and after he said these things, right? That's in the Bible. There's no narrator in the present tense there. Jesus is looking in the eye. He's talking to them. I love you. I love you. Be encouraged. Take heart. I've overcome the world. Father, the time has come. He looks to heaven and he begins to pray. And he prays for himself first. And then he prays for them. And then he prays for you and me. I can't even imagine what it must have been like to be there. 
to hear the voice of Jesus talking to His Father in heaven, the Son of God communicating with God the Father. Wow. No wonder they call it holy ground. Must have felt that way for the disciples. The text says He lifted His eyes to heaven. He was assuming a posture of prayer that would have been very familiar in that culture. In Psalm 123, verse 1, the psalmist says, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. What would you say is the typical posture of prayer in our culture? What's the typical posture of prayer? It looks something like this. Maybe you clasp your hands. I don't know. Is it like this or this or maybe like this? I don't know. Something like this, right? And then maybe, maybe just tilt your head down ever so slightly. And if you're really serious about prayer, you close your eyes. I'm kidding. Is there anything wrong with that posture? Of course not. Of course not. What, what does God look at? He looks at your heart. So it's not like this is, 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 is the right way or, or this is the right way. But I do want to just issue a challenge. I just want to give you a challenge. Would you consider, would you consider praying to God in a posture that best reflects your heart, your soul, and your mind at the moment? At the moment that you're praying, think about what you're saying and what posture best reflects what I am feeling towards my Heavenly Father right now. And so if it's like, man, I am... God, you are amazing. It's like, God, I thank you so much for how good you are to me. God, thank you so much for how good you are to me. They both work. But I'm telling you, there's something that happens in here when you allow your body to express what you're feeling in your heart. And you, you're just going to either have to take my word for it. You're just going to practice it. You're going to try it. Seriously. And they're like, oh, you're like, well, I could never do that in the middle of the church. <laughs> well, start in your bedroom. I don't know. Do it in your car. You know, don't pray like this in your car. Okay? <laughs> that is a bad posture of prayer when you're driving. Okay? There are some bad postures. Maybe, maybe you're feeling like I am I'm broken. I'm, I've, I've, I know I've hurt you, God, by the way I've, 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 I've been living lately or whatever. You're feeling broken and you feel like I need to surrender. So maybe that posture is like, God, I'm not worthy. I'm so, so sorry. I don't know how to tell you, but there's something that takes place when the posture you assume reflects where your heart is at. Maybe you need to get on your knees. Maybe you need to lie prostrate before the Lord in prayer. I don't know. But my challenge to you is to try it. Try it. I have no idea where I am in my message right now. (laughs) But I'm excited. I am excited. Jesus, Jesus, we're told, he lifted his eyes to heaven. Lifted his eyes to heaven. Said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Now, if you've read through 
John's gospel, you know that earlier in Christ's ministry, early in Christ's ministry, he said things like, my hour has not yet come, right? My hour's not yet come. It's not time. The hour's not here. At the wedding in Cana, when mom says, turn the water to wine, he's like, my hour's not yet come. But your mom, okay, (laughs) right? So I'll do it. But now Jesus says the hour has come. The time has arrived. It is time for Jesus to complete the work that his father has sent him to accomplish. It's time for Jesus to what? To suffer and die. And so what does Jesus do? He begins his prayer by praying for himself. Jesus says to his father, glorify your son. He knew. He knew that he needed the father's strength to go through with what was coming. And Jesus says, Father, bring me glory through this suffering. Bring me glory through this hour. The time is here. Bring me glory through the cross. Why? Why? So that the Son may glorify you. Glorify me through this so that I can bring you glory. In verse 1, we see clearly that that what Jesus has consistently modeled throughout his life, his primary concern is to live his life for the glory of God. And you see, Jesus understood the connection between his sacrifice and God's glory. Jesus understood. He understood that his death, his burial, and his resurrection would result in in the praise and glory of God the Father. Jesus knew that. Because the cross, the cross displayed the justice and the wrath of God towards sin. You know, the cross was brutal, right? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, didn't make sense to, to the people living in Jesus' time. And I think still to us, we go like, wow, how does, how does a cross bring glory? The cross is a picture of how God feels about sin. People say, man, that was pretty brutal. You guys remember the Passion of the Christ? Some of the critics said, well, I think Mel Gibson went a little too far in how he portrayed that. That's because they don't understand how God feels about sin. You couldn't go far enough to capture how much God hates sin. The cross was a picture of God's wrath. But it also proclaimed the inexplicable grace and love of God towards us. In that moment, you cannot question, there is no limit to how far God will go to save his people. Romans 5.8 says that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus knew that the cross, an instrument of, of death and shame, would serve as an eternal reminder of God's justice, his grace, his love, and it would result in his glory 
and praise. And so as Jesus approached this hour of the greatest suffering the world has ever known, the hour where the wrath of God would be poured out on him for the sins of all mankind, yours and mine, as Jesus looked at that hour, what does he ask for? God, glorify me in this suffering so that I may glorify you. We have so much to learn from Jesus. I know that if I'm honest, I have to admit that many times my approach to prayer is more of like trying to convince God to get on board with my plans. You know, conform to my will. In the face of trials and suffering, how do we most often pray? Is it, God, get me out of this? Isn't that pretty much how we typically pray? God, get me out of this. Or is it, God, may you be glorified through this? Can God be glorified through your suffering? Can God be glorified through the trials and tribulations that you're facing? Can God be glorified through what we've been through in the last year? Of course he can. The question is, was he? Was God glorified through the way that you responded to the trials and, and, and the struggles that you faced, faced in the last year? And you might say, some days he was, some days he wasn't. And the truth is, that's probably true for all of us, right? But man, I hope that our approach, I think what Ivan said earlier, 2021 is not going to be any different unless your heart is changed. If you're putting your hope in the turning of a clock from 2020 to 2021, I got something to tell you. You're crazy. <laughs> Ta-da! Magic! No, like, nothing's going to change unless we change. And if we can start to be like Jesus, seeking his glory through our suffering, I'm telling you, your life will be changed. The lives around you will be changed. And God will be glorified through it. That'll be awesome. Now, I do need to point out that just because Jesus was willing to glorify God through his suffering doesn't mean he was excited to suffer. You know that, right? That would be, be weird. I can't wait. This is so exciting. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. In fact, we know that not long after this prayer, he's going to pray another prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to say, God, let this cup pass from me. Is there any other way, God? Is there any other way? If not, not, not my will, but yours be done. He knew. This is the only way. And so he was prepared to go through with it. So in verse 1, we see that Jesus' primary concern is to live his life for the glory of God. By the way, the next four verses, I'll go a lot faster. And that should be our primary concern as well. Now in verses 2 through 4, we're going to see two specific means through which Jesus brings glory to God the Father. The first one is in verses 2 and 3. Jesus prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Verse 2, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. <clears throat> God the Father has given his Son all authority 
so that, it says, he may give eternal life to all that the Father has given him. Jesus says that that granting eternal life to believers brings glory to God. That's what it says. Because you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given him. This is the reason that God sent his son to earth. We just celebrated it two days ago, right? He didn't come to earth to just be an adorable little baby, though I'm sure he was the most adorable little baby that ever lived, right? Second would would be Sammy. Um, But Sammy Colpitz. But, But... He didn't come just to be a baby. He came to be a savior, right? And why did he he have to come to be a savior? Because men and women, we are separated from God. And so when people come into an, an eternal relationship with God the Father, he's fulfilling the reason that he came. And that brings God glory. That's pretty awesome. In John chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, we read that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know that verse, right? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It's the reason that he came. And who are the ones that God has given to the Son? Those who believe. John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 say that He, Jesus, came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. God is glorified by granting eternal life to those who believe. And in verse 3, Jesus says, and this is eternal life. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Pastor Glenn alluded to it earlier today, but eternal life is so much more than simply existing for all eternity. Jesus says that eternal life is knowing God the Father and knowing Jesus Christ, His Son. And it's a life that begins now. Right? When you come to saving faith in Christ, that eternal life begins. It begins. And the word that's used for knowing here, it's not about head knowledge. I can tell you every fact about Jesus from the time he was born to the time that he went back to heaven. I mean, every detail. Like, whoop de doo Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? You can learn all kinds of facts about me, although I don't know why you would. But you could memorize all kinds of facts about me. Does that mean you know me? No. I mean, I know a lot of facts about Michael Jordan. But I don't know Michael Jordan, right? And he certainly doesn't know me. Right? The word for knowing here is an intimate word used to describe, in fact, it's used throughout the Bible to describe even the intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. Right? A deep, intimate awareness and knowledge of one another. And God is glorified 
by us having a deep and meaningful relationship with Him through His Son. You want to glorify God this year? How about getting to know Him? That brings Him glory. That's why He sent His Son. He's also glorified by our sharing that good news with others. In the book of Matthew, we're told that uh, by Jesus, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, right? Same thing there. He's saying it again. All authority is mine, right? And then he gives marching orders. He says, so go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Want to bring glory to God? Spend time getting to know him, right? Grow in your relationship with him. Pray to him. Read his word. Listen to him. Tell others about him. Obey him. Obey him. You know, obedience is an incredibly important part of our relationship with God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, same writer here as the Gospel of John. John writes in uh, verse 3 of, of chapter 2 in 1 John, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Do I know God? Do I know him? By this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. If I don't keep his commandments, we'll see what he says. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We want to walk and live our lives like Jesus. And obedience is an important part of our bringing glory to God. Which leads me to the second means through which Jesus brings glory to the Father. It's found in verse 4. Jesus says, verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Obedience, right? Jesus says that his obedience to do the work that God had given him brought glory to God the Father. In John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 14, 31, he said, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. You see, Jesus understood that obedience brings glory to God. And the same is true for you and me. Our obedience to do the work that God's given us brings Him glory. Notice also, that in this uh, verse, Jesus speaks in the past tense. Did you catch that? I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Well, if you look at the timing of when he prays this, you know that there's a pretty significant thing still in front of him, right? Pretty significant. And he speaks as though he's already completed it all. Why? Because for Jesus, the cup of suffering that he was about to drink, it was as good as done. It was as good as done. There was nothing that was going to prevent Jesus from following through with what God was calling him to do. He asked God in the garden, hey, is there another way? No? Okay. 
we'll go through with this, right? But there was nothing that was going to prevent him. Why? He lived his life from start to finish, always doing the will of the Father. Why would he change now? No, it was as good as done. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, Paul says that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <laughs> Jesus' obedience brought glory to the Father, and ours will do the same. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, that we're to let our light shine before others so that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. Here's a good thing to, to just consider as you reflect back on 2020. Did my works bring glory to you? Did my works bring glory to you? And if they didn't, Confess and move forward, right? But determine that, God, I want everything I say, everything I do to bring glory to you. As Jesus prays this prayer, you know, he is, he's so, he's well aware of the suffering that he's about to endure. He knows that the cross is going to bring glory to God. He knows that the, the eternal life that's going to be made available to us, is going to bring glory to God. He knows that his obedience to finish the work will bring glory to God. And finally, he knows that his suffering will bring him glory as he returns to be with his Father in heaven. Verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Man, when I read that verse, I just get this taste of all that, you know, we just read Philippians 2, but of all that Jesus laid aside to come and live and die in our place. When you read this verse, you get just a taste of what Jesus laid aside. Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Jesus knows that this hour for which he came to earth is going to lead to his glorification and his return to heaven. What a reunion, right? In this verse, we get a glimpse of this intimate pre-incarnate relationship that exists between God the Father and God the Son and the glory that they share together. I got to tell you, all through this prayer I am just so struck by the, the words of Jesus. Father, Son. They had such an intimate relationship. A closeness and an intimacy that we, we should be pursuing with our Heavenly Father as well. I'm going to close with this. In Hebrews chapter 12, 
verses 1 and 2, we're encouraged to run with endurance the race that is set before us. You're still here, right? God's got plans for you. A race is set in front of you, and we're supposed to run that race with endurance, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. The cross wasn't the joy, right? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And what was that joy? Well, according to this prayer in John chapter 17, the joy was that it would bring glory to God. It was the joy of providing us with eternal life. The joy of finishing the work that God gave him to do. And the joy of his glorious return to be with his Father in heaven. Where he is now, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, still interceding for you and for me. Next week, we're going to continue looking at this verse, uh, this prayer rather. And we're going to look at verses 6 through 19, the longest section where Jesus is going to be praying for his disciples. Until then, let's pursue his glory, right? As we grow in our relationship with him and as we do the work that he's given us to do. I'll have the worship team come up right now and, you know, we're, I think we're going to close this this way. I feel like I'd be missing a really big opportunity here. If we, we're sitting here reading about how Jesus prayed to his father, I want us to just take a few moments in silence. I want to give you an opportunity to pray to your heavenly father right now. Look back at 2020. Look ahead to 2021. Think about where your relationship is. Jesus started this prayer. He started this prayer by praying for himself. That's what I'm asking you to do right now. I'm asking you to be praying for yourself. You don't hear that a lot, right? Pray for yourself, you know? Jesus did it. Seems like a pretty good model. Talk to God about your relationship with him. Is he your father? Do you know him? Do you not know him? Talk to him about where you're at in that relationship right now. Where do you want it to be? How do you want to grow? Take this moment and talk to God, your heavenly father, and pray over this past and this future year. Amen?